media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. To cover the last couple weeks, in case you uh, missed, we're out. We we're, have a little pattern going here. A couple weeks ago, we looked at a God who never is surprised. And we were really looking at that attribute of the sovereignty of God. That He is working and will always work on plan A. He doesn't have a backup plan. He doesn't need a backup plan. So we kind of focused, what does it mean that God is sovereign? Last week, we saw a God who keeps His promises. A God who is faithful. These are more than just words. These are endearments that we have because of the of who God is. That we can truly say, God, you're faithful. You, everything about you is faithful. Even in those times when maybe we are questioning in our own little walk, you know, God, have you been faithful? Did you forget about that? This happened throughout the history of the Bible. You have some of the greatest people like Abraham, David, that had times where they go, okay, God, did you forget me? Will you, will you never hear my voice again? Will you never kind of respond to a prayer? And yet what we know as a foundation of our faith, not because of our feelings, not because of our predicaments, but because who God is, that he is faithful. And so we catch up the story here of what happens after the resurrection of Christ. And we go back and we begin to apply these truths about God. And we find out that he's not surprised that Judas betrayed him. He's not surprised that Peter denied him. He's not surprised when Jesus died on the cross. He was not surprised that Jesus rose from the grave. He's not surprised when the disciples begin to gather in the upper room in Jerusalem. And he's not surprised that his very spirit comes and falls upon those believers there in that upper room. He's not surprised by these things. No, in each of these occasions, and many, many more, they had been predicted and they had been prophesied. God is working his plan. Remember back in Acts chapter 1, what Peter, the same Peter that did deny Christ, now has this boldness because of the resurrection. Now, after the filling of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit and the empowering of the Spirit, he goes on and he's not the same Peter. He changed after the resurrection, because he saw that everything that Christ said was true. And so we see a boldness. Now we see a boldness that's even given direction and empowerment. And it was Peter that stood up there with those 120 that had gathered for prayer and said, the scripture had to be fulfilled. All the pieces of the puzzle start to come together in Peter's mind and his heart. Not because he went off to seminaries, as we said. Not because all of a sudden the light bulb went off. But it's because he saw the resurrection. He sees the work of Christ. The the Holy Spirit now has come upon him. And God is allowing him to make sense of all these things that were before disconnected. Now they're connected. 2,000 years later, folks, that's still what the Word of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, does in our lives. It gives us a boldness that we never had before. It gives us a direction and a purpose and a calling in life that maybe we never felt before. Maybe we had a calling before, but it was our calling. It was kind of based on our own interpretations of our talents and our abilities. And And then all of a sudden God calls us to do something incredible, to go teach in a school and, and to be a shining light there. Maybe he calls this person to be an engineer and he uses that to be a, a, a light 
in the sphere of the influence of the others in that office. Maybe he calls some to be a pastor or a preacher or this or that or whatever it might be. But all of a sudden we find out that the call of our life isn't just something that we dream up and think, you know, I think I'd be pretty good with that. But we find out that God truly has a divine purpose for our lives. It's an amazing thing to know that there truly is a call, a purpose for our life. First and foremost, to do what we just sang about, to give glory to God, to make much of his love. I mean, one of the great things about a parent and now a grandparent, my, my, two of my grandsons are, are here, or grandchildren are here, uh, two of my grandsons, and, and they came up before they went back to class and they gave Papa a hug. Okay, I'm floating on cloud nine. I told him last night, I said, love you guys, love you Papa. Father, folks, how, how do you think the fathers respond when we just tell truth? God, I love you. Doesn't seem that way very often, but, but God, I do love you. I praise you that you're faithful, that you're sovereign. Make much of God. It brings joy to the Father. The Bible even goes as far as to say, when it's talking about Jesus in, in Philippians 2, that, you know, here Jesus did all these things. He humbled himself. But one day, he said, Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's not just Christians, folks. Everybody will do that. They will tell the truth about Jesus. But we as the body of Christ, we who know Christ in this personal way, we are now his children because he has adopted us in Christ. We get to begin and we get to cry out of his glory. Uh, every nation, every tribe, we sing that song, that, that middle song. You know, in Asia this morning, they are doing it. In, in Europe, they're doing that. In the Americas, they're doing that. And one day, we're going to see this universal church of all the body of Christ. Can you imagine that choir? Can you imagine on that day that even I can hit a note? I mean, I hit notes now. They're just always the wrong notes. But if it's one of those that one day... I'm not going to need this perfect pitch thing that they have. That in the perfection of God, I'm just going to be able to sing those songs in perfect harmony with all the, the people of Christ. This is incredible, guys. This should excite our hearts. And we begin to see that it's all part of God's plan. As Peter said, the scripture had to be fulfilled. And why that's so important this morning is because it teaches us these truths about God. And these are the truths that give us an anchor, a foundation in those times when our lives seemingly are falling apart, are challenged, or we begin to wonder, okay, God, have you heard my prayers? Or as David said, will you ever, will I ever see your face again? Will I ever be able to really know that you're there? This morning as we go to Acts chapter 2, we begin to see that God is working his redemptive plan for history. Everything that sin is broken, Christ's work is redeeming, is fixing. And, and folks, again, I, I told you, I'm always going to preach to you as if you are not only intelligent people, which you are, but, but hopefully somewhat on the growing of the biblical intelligence, not for the sake of biblical intelligence, but let's not ignore the importance of words like redemption and redeeming. Because the more that we understand about that, the more that we truly do live in appreciation of what Christ has done for us. 
And so what we see, God is doing his redeeming work through Christ. And, you know, last week we talked about how uh, at the coming of the Holy Spirit, they were speaking in languages. Our equivalency would be German and French and Spanish and, and Japanese. And then all of a sudden, but everybody understood one another. That these were known languages, but all these people had gathered in Jerusalem because of the feast that was going on. Because it was Pentecost. And they were, they came, some because they were required. If you live within 20 miles, you were supposed to make that trek. Others came because it was a time that they truly could just join the other ones. They truly were, uh, people that were Jewish and, and very, very familiar with, uh, you know, Jewish understandings because that was their background. That was their heritage. Others were perhaps those that had come from Rome and other places and they had heard and put belief. They were what we call proselytes to the Jewish religion. And so they were all gathered there. And so there were from many, many nations. And one of the miracles that we see there that God does in the coming of the Holy Spirit is they begin to understand one another in all these languages. Some have even said, and, and I think we have to be somewhat careful with this, but the truth exists, whether Luke makes much of it or not, that when, you know, when we say that God's redemption through Jesus Christ fixes everything that was broken, remember back in the Old Testament, the Tower of Babel? <laughs> you know, and, and they were supposed to go into the ends of the earth and multiply, and they didn't. And this is their second chance. This is after the flood, okay? So, And they don't do that. And, and so God disperses them and gives them different languages. There are many that said, okay, this coming of the Holy Spirit shows a reversal, a redeeming of that. Now, Luke doesn't tie that together. He says, just as they were separating the Tower of Babel, but the truth is there. Sin divides. Sin brought death. Christ's work brings life, brings life. Sin broke and brought separation. Christ's work brings unity. That's what redemption is. That which was dead has been brought to life. Let's make much of those things. Now look at Acts chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. Pick up where we left off last week. Here they heard one another, and yet they understood languages. I mean, it's like if we spoke in 14 different languages this morning, and yet everybody, even if you've never had one class in French, one class in German, one class in this or whatever, that we begin to understand one another. And how did they respond? Verse 7, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are we not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each other in his own native language. What were the two words that they used there? They were amazed and astonished. And they asked a question. What's going on? Why is this happening? Look at verse 12 and 13. They came to their own conclusion, or some of them did. And all of those that were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Remember that question. What does this mean? But others mockingly said, they are filled with noon wine. I like how the NIV says it. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. The problem is it's 9 o'clock in the morning, and Peter's going to address that in just a second. But here's what happens, guys. Do not be surprised that in the redemptive work of God, that not everybody's going to get that. Not everybody's going to say, well, that makes sense. 
When they see the things of God, there are going to be some that will mock and laugh. They simply do not understand. And they will come up with their own earthly, human conclusions. Would it be a conclusion that you could easily make without kind of knowing the things of God? You hear people speaking in all these languages and you know that they don't have a background in all these languages and you hear all this stuff going on and yet they understand one another. Could it be that you see the confusion of that moment and that you assume, well, they must be drunk. Five o'clock somewhere. You know, that they really would kind of come to their own earthly conclusion that this is kind of what's happening. But look at how Peter Response to this accusation. Look at verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lift up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. He might as well have just taken a bugle out and said, you know, big announcement coming. That's kind of what he means by those phrases. Verse 15. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Peter says, it's nine o'clock in the morning. What you assume is not the right answer. But Peter does have an answer. Look at verse 16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And then he begins to quote the Old Testament prophecy. Now I want you to put two and two together here, guys. God does this marvelous work, this marvelous miracle at Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And there are some that look at it and go, we don't get it. And they come up with a human conclusion. They must be drunk. But Peter immediately comes back and says, no, that's not the right answer. But let me tell you what the right answer is. This has all been predicted. And he starts quoting from Joel. Look at verse 16 through 21. And this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and the vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What just happened? He quotes Joel. He says, okay, Joel spoke of the last days. And he's telling them, you're living in the last days. Folks, we are living in the last days. Now, the the, the Bible uses, the New Testament uses several different um, phrases to talk about what we often talk about the end times. And it uses some uh, particular language for that. But last days is the church age. It, It began when Christ fulfilled the need that we had. And that begins the last days. So you and I are living in the last days. You might say, well, how long are these last days going? Well, at least 2,000 years. And yet that's the importance of this to history, folks. But not just as a historical marker, but it's still relevant in our lives. We're living in these last days. 
And Job begins to talk about the return of Christ and all these different things that are going to happen. But look at verse 21. And the Lord shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. A new time period of God's eternal plans has begun the last days. Remember the fall of man, you know, creation of man, then the fall of man, and then we can go into the coming of the Messiah, then the last days, and there's going to be a turn of the Messiah, the second coming. The Bible, in one way, is really, really simple with a timeline. We quite complicate it with all of our different predictions of trying to take everything and put it on there. You know, unless, as long as you're being obedient to the Word of God, I don't see a real harm in that, of at least supposing, okay, could this be here and could this be here? But folks, there's just creation, the fall, the redeeming work of Christ, the church age that we're living in now, and now, and then the return of Christ. I mean, and then eternity for all believers. It's really kind of simple. And so he mentions that. And during this time period, he says, something shall come to pass. What will come to pass? Everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Does it say everybody who just mentions, you know, the word Jesus? Jesus. Okay, I'm going to heaven. It's not that way. It's not, okay, we're all the creation of God. Are we all the creation as God's children in that way? Yeah, we're all God's creation. We're not all God's children. Go do a Bible study on that, and you'll see that it's talking about the elect, the, the chosen, the, the ones that God has opened the eyes to their sin, and they, re, you know, that he's shown us a Savior. And in belief, we've put trust and faith in the work of Christ. Well, one of the things we see in, in the world right now, well, we're all the children of God. We're all the creation of God. But that term children of God is really special, guys. And it's not all inclusive to everybody who's ever had a heartbeat. It's, it's inclusive of those that, that God has chosen and the ones that he opened up their eyes and the ones that now are in, in the work of Christ. Look how Peter then connects the Old Testament writing to the work of Christ. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Again, if he had another trumpet, he'd be blowing it right now. Kind of like you've seen the cartoons. The guy comes out and blows the trumpet right before the king has this big message. And so kind of that's what he says. Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you know yourselves, this Jesus delivered up according to the what? definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Uh, Old Testament prophecy, okay, wait, coming in the Holy Spirit, speaking in languages, this miracle, what could this be? What's the answer? They're drunk. No, that's not the right answer. It's been prophesied. And then he begins, after this Old Testament prophecy, he begins to tell about what Jesus did. He uses words like, that you knew. But more importantly, that God knew this was according to his definite plan. Takes Old Testament prophecy, New Testament fulfillment. He says, guys, this is all part of God's definite plan. And then, after connecting the Old Testament prophecy to the work of Christ, Peter then connects the work of Christ back to the Old Testament writings. 
Uh, some have called this uh, uh, in a theological sandwich. You have the Old Testament, then the New Testament fulfillment, and then Old Testament. And he's just packing this sandwich. All in Scripture. Why would it be so important for him to, to use Old Testament, show fulfillment, and then go back to the Old Testament? Who's he preaching to? The Jews. The message always, in, in the beginning of Acts, the beginning of church, it always goes to the Jews first. It's going to come to the Gentiles. And we sang that in the songs this morning. I hope that you notice that from all tribes and, and every nation, that in Asia there's believers this morning, that in Europe there are going to be believers. And so we know that, but at this point in time, Peter is preaching, and he's preaching mainly to, uh, to the Jewish people. At best, they've come from other nations because they're proselytes, but not proselytes, proselytes into Christianity, but into Judaism. They're there for this festival. It's kind of their duty. We've got to come. Hey, it's Pentecost. It's the feast. And so he goes back and he begins to quote David. What promise did God make or did David make when he's responding back in Psalms 16, 8 through 11? That's where he quotes here. Psalms 16, 8 through 11. And David makes a proclamation in the Old Testament. He says, I will not go to Hades. Why would Peter bring that in? Here's the promise from Joel that his spirit's going to come. Here's the work of Christ that fulfilled that. And here's one of the Old Testament Jewish heroes, David, that y'all thought hung the moon. And look what he proclaimed in the Old Testament. But he proclaimed he was not going to go to Hades. Why? He was just wishful thinking. He's counting on God to send the Messiah. Peter in this sermon is masterfully connecting dots. Old Testament prophecy, New Testament fulfillment, Old Testament prophecy and fulfillment. And the center of all of that is what? Jesus Christ and his work. He's at the center of it all. I mean, look at verse 29 through 31. Brothers, I, I, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and that his tomb is still with us today. So it's not like David was saying, okay, I'm never going to die. He says, look, you, we know that he's dead because his, you know, right down the road here is where he's buried. Verse 30, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him, that he would send one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. I, I realize, you know, that, that there's a lot of verbiage. And I'm not going to try to simplify to make things simple. But I do want to be kind of conclusive here because we preach as the word is given to us. And this is a conclusive sermon. Peter is making conclusions, folks. He's tying all these dots together. He's showing the redeeming work of God to man through all these prophecies and the fulfillment of Christ. And so basically, here's what what Peter is saying. (laughs) There's only one answer. His name is Christ. There's only one hope. His name is Christ. There's only one Redeemer, and his name is Christ. 
They, they asked, what does this mean? And he says, this is what it means. That God is working his plan. So how do the people respond? How do the people respond? I love this. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them. In other words, people said, man, I like a five-minute sermon. Peter just kept it short. No, the sermon was pretty long. In fact, we can say that maybe it was even several hours long because it was nine in the morning, and then they were talking about eating lunch later. So it's one of those things. We don't get the whole sermon here, but what we get is the purpose by his preaching this day. It says that, He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And so those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls, guys. 3,000 souls. That's kind of a good worship service, wasn't it? Holy Spirit comes, they understand other people's languages. What does this mean? We don't know, but we think they're drunk. Peter goes, I've got the answer. And he begins to use scripture to show them that this is part of God's plan. And they hear this, and it says that they're cut to the heart. Go back to verse 37. Or go on, I'm sorry, to go on to verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were, what? Cut to the heart. And said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Well, we've heard this truth. How do we respond? That's where Peter says, Repent and be baptized. All of you, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Do you see the connection? They hear this truth about God and they say, what do we do with this? And they're serious about it because they said that they were what? Cut to the heart. Have you ever heard a sermon? Maybe I shouldn't ask this question. (laughs) That you were cut to the heart? Not because of what the preacher said, not because of eloquent style or this and the other, but just the message of God. All that the preacher was was just, you know, being used by the Spirit of God. And it brought conviction to your heart. It brought correction. It brought direction. It brought hope. That you could say, man, I was cut to the heart. That you fully understand what was going on. They hear this. All these people hear that. And does everybody respond? No. Some are still mocking. Some are still part of that crowd going, I still think they're drunk. They're coming to their own earthly conclusions. But those who heard the word of God, God opens up their eyes. Because it said there in verse 39, Everyone whom the law, Lord our God calls for himself. Who's in control here? God is. And God puts out the word and they ask this question, brothers, what shall we do? Peter has a ready answer. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus. Christ is the center. He's the one answer. He's the one hope. He's the one redeemer. And so as we conclude this morning, 
Two, two applications here. If you are a believer this morning and you have put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, please believe and, and be happy that God allowed you to say, how do we respond? Brother, brother, what shall we do? Most of us in here, if we had to use a clarification of, are we Jewish or Gentile? What would be the majority, if not the enormity of all of us, that were Gentile? Aren't you glad that in his redemptive plan, he just extends it to every nation, every tribe? Not every person in every nation, every tribe. But he extends that that hope of Christ, the work of Christ, that anybody in the world can put their faith and trust in Christ as God opens their eyes to their lostness and their sinfulness and shows them the sufficiency of a Savior. And if you're a Christian here this morning, that was you. That was you. You just didn't decide. I mean, I felt like at 12 I decided. But folks, had God not opened my eyes to my sin, I would have never known that I needed a Savior. And the Word of God did that. The Spirit of God did that. Perhaps this morning you say, you know, I'm just here because we come to church as a family. I'm not really a believer. I don't know about all this stuff. I'm not quite like those mockers. I'm not laughing at God, but I don't know. I just don't know what to do with all this. Let me encourage you this morning. Number one, thank you that you're here. Whether it's just in support of your family, whether it's just as, as you know, hey, I just didn't want to make trouble. I'm at least going to participate. Thank you that you're here. But how do you respond? I mean, that could be the question that you also, not just believers, Brothers, what shall we do? What do I do with this? And and here's my hope this morning. That as the Spirit of God through His Word reveals that Christ is the only way, that He's the only one, that's how God works His plan of redemption, not through church, not through denominations, not through morality, but through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. My prayer this morning and say, so you would say, okay, how do, how do I respond? Can, can we talk, Pastor? Because that is the only way that we go from death to life. That's the only way that we go from outside the family of God to the inside of the family of God. It's not by merit, any merit that we had. Brothers, what shall we do? We respond to what God has laid before us in his word through his spirit. And he opens our eyes to let us see his beauty. He helps us to see what he has done to make us right with a holy God. He doesn't see a bunch of good people that were really trying hard. He actually sees, please don't be offended by this, but it's the truth. Dead people, lost in the depravity of their sin. And one of those was Bobby Lincoln, and he said, I call you, I choose you, I give my son to you. And he opened my eyes and gave me that ability to, to, to respond back and see.
that Christ was the sufficient Savior. He does it all. That's what it says. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who were far off. We weren't close, guys. We were far off. Every whom the Lord our God calls to himself. What a great God. What an amazing thing that he's done. Your salvation isn't just some choices that were made that you made and you responded because, well, you know, I grow up in America and, you know, America's a, a Christian country. Don't get me started. <laughs> Don't get me started. Well, my granddaddy was a Christian. My mama was a Christian. And so it was just natural. I, I think I'm a Christian. No. Jesus Christ is the only answer. Not a denomination. Not your own goodness or morality. Get this. Not even what you could be. Some people say, well, I guess God saw us and, and saw that maybe we could clean up pretty good. He saw us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's the cleaning up, guys. It's not you and I just put on a better dress and we put on a better this. We're in Christ. This is our only hope. I pray this morning that if you have not have a solid answer to that question, brothers, what should we do? If you're pondering, well, how does this apply to me? Whether you are a believer, whether you're not, I, I pray that we could talk at some point in time. Because this good news, this first sermon of the church age, it's all about what God had planned for eternity through the work of Jesus Christ. And you can be a part of that. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, this morning as we come and as we look at your word, Father, we see this incredible sermon that you lead Peter to, to preach. And it's convicting. Father, it cut him to the heart. And yet, Father, they were not cut down to the point where they just had no hope. Father, in that same sermon... Peter points to the focus of our hope, the evidence of our hope. Your son, Jesus Christ, born, lived a perfect life, died upon a cross, buried, and three days later rose from the dead. Spent 40 days in proof that he truly had risen, ascended to the Father, now petitioning the Father for us as an advocate for us. Father, will you help us to see the reality of that? Help us to see that even though this happened 2,000 years ago, we're still in, that's still the answer. And will you cut us to the heart this morning, Father? That if our hope is on our own morality, if our hope is somehow that we belong to a church or that we got dunked in a baptism pool and somehow we were just putting all of our focus that that's going to be our ticket to heaven. Father, will you help us to see this morning that maybe those are things that we did, but Father, our only hope, Father, is the work of Christ. And Father, I pray that you will open our eyes to the beauty of that. And that you will call us to place our trust and our faith in him and him alone. Use us, Father, as a church. Use us, Father, as workers in this community. Use us in our neighborhoods, Father, to give this good news of redemption. 
with everyone that we come in contact with. We love you. We thank you as we pray this in the hope that is Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.